I've been told that the late musician Johnny Cash, who was known as the Man in Black, wore black to every concert and public appearance because he had battled a drug addiction and substance abuse problem of his own. And he decided to wear black clothing mainly so that he would feel a connection with those that were marginalized and those who were outcast in society. But I don't know if you're aware of this, but his drug addiction had nearly cost him his fame in the music industry. It had ruined one of his marriages. It had made him a very angry and absent father. And his children have even said publicly because of his drug abuse that they had had a ruined childhood because of his drug addictions. Later on in his autobiography, he wrote these words. I was canceling shows. I was canceling recording dates. And when I did manage to show up to some shows, I couldn't sing because my throat was too dry from all the pills. I was in and out of jail, in and out of hospitals, and in and out of car wrecks. I was a walking vision of death. And he says, and that's exactly how I felt. You know, when he grew up, he never thought he'd be dependent upon drugs to get through a day of life. But that's true, isn't it? No one says when they're a child, I hope when I grow up, I become an addict and become dependent upon something. At the age of 35, he wanted to end his life, and so he tried to escape his, his lifestyle, and he ran out into the woods of Chattanooga and made his way toward, down toward the Tennessee River. He found this famous cave system called the Nickajack Cave System. He walked in there with a flashlight, but his hopes were to get so confused in the complexities of that system that he'd get lost, that he'd get overwhelmed, he'd eventually die in those caves, and that his body would never be found again, and that no one would remember Johnny Cash and his addictions. But he said while he was there in the darkness of the cave, his flashlight had ran out of batteries. He laid there waiting for death, and he later said, I had thought I had this great awakening. I had thought I had left God. But what I discovered and had this great revelation in my drug stupor waiting for death was God never left me. Then he says, I began to feel something powerful take over my body while I was laying there dying in the cave, a sensation of utter peace, of clarity, and sobriety (laughs) and though he was waiting for death and he's in the middle of this cave system in the middle of darkness he has the strength to crawl out and search for the entrance he says that God led him out of the cave system and there in a moment of sobriety was able to find help was able to find some uh, uh, some places that would help him in his addiction and he was able to overcome the addictions in his life at that time Now, you guys know the story of Johnny Cash in some regard. I mean, life wasn't always pretty for him. It didn't end happily ever after for him after that. There were setbacks in his addiction. But he does credit God with his escape from his dependencies on the things that enslaved him. He later had said towards the end of his life that the greatest joy in my life was that I no longer felt separated from God. Now, he said, he is my counselor He is my rock of ages to stand upon. You know, it is my hope today that as we study this scripture together in Luke chapter 8, that you'll become more dependent on Jesus Christ than anything else in your life. And if you're here today and you're wrestling with the demons of addiction and they've enslaved you, I hope today you too can have a spiritual awakening in that darkness and that you can understand that God hasn't abandoned you and God understands the hurt and the addiction that you're going through today. And I want you to see that he welcomes you unconditionally 
to save you and to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you have the power to break those addictions in your life and become dependent upon Jesus Christ himself. In Luke chapter 8, the disciples experience this amazing and miraculous power of Jesus. They encounter this ferocious storm. It rises up on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep at the head of the boat. It's nighttime. They're afraid the boat's going to capsize. It's filling up with water. And they wake up Jesus, and Jesus sternly stands up, and he raises his hand, and he says to the storm, Peace, be still. And the Bible tells us that immediately the storm stopped. It also tells us that the disciples stopped fearing the storm and they started fearing Jesus and the power that he had. And they even said, who is this? He commands the winds and the waters and they obey him. And then just a few minutes later, under the cover of darkness, they find themselves heading to shore and they end up on the edge of a cemetery right outside of of a city. And they're horrified when a violent, demon-possessed man scares them into the cover of darkness and approaches Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verse 27 tells us more. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from, from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I... I beg you, don't torture me. Verse 29 of Luke chapter 8. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now take notice just for a second that this man at one time knew freedom in his life, and he knew free will. He was in charge of his own destiny and in charge of his, of his own body. But something along his path of life had taken control of him. And demon possession, I want you to know, is very real. And this guy was crazed in life, not by just one demon, but by many demons. Look at verse 30 with me. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And then he begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. That's a word for for hell. Don't send us back to hell. And Jesus wasn't intimidated by this guy. I want you to see that when Jesus says, what is your name? He was, in a sense, befriending this man in a way and saying, you're human and I can help you. You are created by God. And he responds, legion. Now, a Roman legion was made up of 6,000 soldiers. And the Bible tells us that this demon replied legion because there were so many demons inside of this man that it felt like there were soldiers overrunning this man's life. This man was no longer in control of himself. The demons had taken control of him. And he was so overwhelmed with evil that he'd become, to, uh, he'd become a slave to the forces of evil in his life. But Jesus was a friend to this guy. And he commanded the demons to come out of this man. It continues on in verse 32. There were a large herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, let us go into the pigs. And Jesus gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was was drowned. 
You know, I want you to see that the power of Jesus has the ability to liberate us from the evils that can enslave us. Just like this demon-possessed man was enslaved by actual demons, Jesus had the power to liberate him, and he's got the power to liberate you from whatever it is that is habitual or controlling you, that's keeping away, keeping yourself away from, from Jesus Christ himself. You know, there, there are real demons, but chances are you will probably not be demon-possessed. But there is real evil. And there is a great chance that you and I will find ourselves being attracted to the evil. And there are potential and there are present addictions that exist in this room. And this demon-possessed man gives us a great warning of the consequences of what it's like when we flirt with evil and toy around with it. You know, people just don't become addicts overnight. There's stages to it. For instance, it starts with experimentation. Someone just says, let's have fun with this. And then it moves into an area where it is social. It becomes a part of who you are in some ways. And when you're in certain arenas, you've got to have what it is that you're addicted to. And then it moves to an area that becomes risky behavior. And it even becomes harmful to yourself. And then it finally becomes an addiction. That's the fourth stage. An addiction means that it's so dependent upon it that you can't live without it and it becomes harmful to you and harmful to those that are around you. And friends, it's not just substance abuse that is an addiction like drugs or alcohol. There are behavioral addictions like being addicted to your smartphone or being addicted to uh, sexual uh, pornography or being addicted to gambling. Those are behavioral addictions. And Jesus wants to release us from all of those things. Addiction is real. And you know what it is? Addiction is sin that's out of control. It's continual disobedience that's never been managed or taken control of through God's Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 speaks of this, and it says of those who promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Keep that up there for a minute. Let's read that last sentence together out loud. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And it's my hope today that you desire and allow Jesus Christ to become the master over you. That you allow his Holy Spirit to be the one that is in control of you. Because this demon-possessed man at one point was an innocent child who had the opportunity to love the Lord and to follow after him. But somewhere in the journey of his life, he gave Satan a foothold and Satan became a master over him. It's like that church sign that's, that can be read from in certain towns. Uh, you give Satan an inch and he'll become your ruler. He's gonna take charge over you if we allow evil to continue to be uh, allowed in our life. So let me just list off some evils for a moment. Some evils that have the potential and maybe are present in your life so that you can avoid flirting with them and toying around with them so that they don't have mastery over you and so that you keep Jesus Christ central in your life. One of the most common substances that is accepted by society but has addictive qualities is alcohol. I would caution you, even if you drink uh, with constraint, Alcohol has the power to enslave you. A little more than half of Americans drink alcoholic beverages, studies report. 
Maybe it's after work for you. You just need to wind down so you have yourself a beer or wine cooler. Or, or maybe you go to the restaurant on the weekends with friends, and so it's a part of your social habit to have some kind of alcoholic drink. Or maybe it's because it's acceptable as a part of society that you find yourself that you are um, just drinking around the poolside and you're by yourself and you decide maybe it's okay to get drunk because you're in the privacy of your own home. You know, people have been drinking alcohol for thousands upon thousands of years. <laughs> There's an interesting documentary called um, How Beer Has Kept Civilization Alive. There was a point at one time when alcohol was needed so that the water which was tainted could be made cleaned up. And the water that you, and the wine that you read about in the Bible was like that. It was just a preservant so that the water would be drinkable because it was tainted. It wasn't made to get drunk on. It was the only thing that was able to be digested by the human system. But now we have plenty of options so that we don't have to drink alcohol at every meal or drink alcohol at all. You know that CBS News reported a government study that said more than 30% of American adults have abused alcohol or suffer some kind of addiction to alcohol? That's 90 million Americans who are addicted or have some kind of problem in handling alcohol. Did you know more than 88,000 people die in the United States from alcohol-related deaths? Do you under, did you know that 10,000 people die in alcohol-related crashes when the driver has been impaired? You know the problem relating to the misuse of alcohol has presented a budget crisis to the United States in the numbers of $223 billion a year the United States puts out just to treat alcohol-related problems and accidents. Friends, this is causing a huge problem amongst deaths and a huge problem financially for the United States. But here's the thing. The Bible does not say do not drink. But God has given us, I think, numerous warnings about how this can enslave us and entangle our lives and even make matters worse when we decide to drink. So if you're a person who drinks in moderation or if you're a young person that is experimenting with alcohol or if you're someone in this room that social drinks, let me show you one of the warnings from Proverbs chapter 23. It says, who has woes? Who has sorrows? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. Who go and sample bowls of mixed wine. Don't gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can have another drink? Listen to me closely. If you think that you can control your drinking... Prove it to me by how you answer these next few questions. Do you drink today more than you drank this time last year? Do your family or friends say to you, I think you've had too much, and do you become irritated when they bring up that subject? Has your drinking ever hurt a relationship? 
Do you get irritated uh, when people discover that you've been drinking because you've been trying to hide it? Now let me tell you something. The elders and the ministers of this church have decided to abstain from alcohol because even though it's not commanded in the Bible to do so, we believe that we represent a higher example for you and for our community. You see, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he was countering an argument that the believers had presented about the freedom that they had in Christ. Freedom to eat what they wanted to eat, freedom to drink what they wanted to drink. And Paul says, yeah, you know what? You come to me and you say, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, oh, but not everything is beneficial. That's a pretty good argument. And then they say, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, but, but everything, guys, is not constructive. No one should seek their own good. Check that out. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And while I might have the freedom to have a Budweiser from time to time, I think it's more beneficial to abstain from drinking alcohol. I don't want Satan to have a foothold in my life and somehow convince me that it's okay to have another one and then I find myself in this point where I'm no longer having the spirit of God in me. I've got the spirit of Anheuser-Busch within me. And I don't want my example of someone seeing me at a restaurant or outside of my house with an alcoholic beverage in my hand and they say, you know, the preacher drinks and I have some kind of great self-control but that gives you justification to drink and you don't have the same self-control that I had. I've just led you astray. And like Paul says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And in our desire to be abstinent, our desire is to not lead you astray. Not much good has come from alcohol. Can you tell me much that has? You see, I want to be consumed with God's Holy Spirit. I want God to have mastery over me. I don't want my spirits produced by man. It's that simple. And another addiction that is societally accepted is, is gluttony. Now, what's interesting is the Bible talks about gluttony the same way it talks about alcoholism or drinking to excessiveness. It says in Proverbs 23, don't be a heavy drinker or don't stuff yourself with food. Someone had defined a glutton as somebody whose idea of a balanced diet is a Big Mac in both hands. That's a glutton. I, I think I've been there a few times. You know, you don't have to be, though, overweight to be a glutton. There are all sorts of health effects that go along with overeating. You know, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, heart disease. It can, it can lead to a loss of self-respect. Overeating can actually lead to depression, and it has been found that it will keep you in a depressed spirit. The Bible gives us great advice about how to be disciplined people. And when it comes to overeating or just eating the right portions, it takes self-control and discipline. And the Bible says, learn, learn some discipline. And the Holy Spirit gives you this kind of discipline. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete. You see how athletes eat? They do what's right for the sport that they're competing in. They do what's right for their body. And he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. Now listen, whether it's gluttony or it's anorexia or bulimia, I mean, these compulsive behaviors towards food can really become a control over us where God wants to be the one that lords over our life. And let's just remember that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And when God's Spirit enters your life, He gives you the control to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the good things in your life. And when food becomes compulsory or when it becomes something that you need to satisfy something outside of your hunger, 
Friends, that's starting to take control over you, and it's becoming slowly an addiction. One of the other evils that is widely used but yet not really societally accepted is illegal drugs and over-medicating yourself on prescription drugs. You know, we've seen the horrible effects of methamphetamines and cocaine, and so we really don't have to explain that side of it away. But I think with the introduction that some states have provided to marijuana, I think you're going to find in the next 10 or 20 years more and more young people finding it tolerable to take even harder drugs in the future, and they're going to have maybe some more acceptance of it. But the problem of drugs is that we're taking illegal drugs, but we're also misusing prescription drugs. And I'd say that within this room, probably the biggest challenge is not the illegal drugs, it's the prescriptive drugs, and maybe they're being misused. But here's the problem. Anytime we rely on something to get the next high or to have a feeling that comes from a bottle or comes from a bag or comes from a prescription, we need to realize that if we're dependent upon that feeling, maybe that's not what God has in store for you. And you need to work your way out from having that prescription refilled over and over again and find some treatment options which your body can cope with on maybe a more naturalistic side of things. Look, I'm not a doctor, and I don't pretend to be one, so you need to contact your health provider. I sound like a commercial now, don't I? But I think smokers, you know, they go out and they need a cigarette. They've got to have the cigarette, and if they don't have the cigarette, they just can't relax. Or a person who deals with back pain, and they need the pain prescription, even though the back surgery was many years ago, because they can't continue to cope in life without having their prescription meds in their hand. Or someone who suffers from depression, who over-relies on that prescription to be filled time and time again? Or how about a parent that's just beside themselves with their child and the teacher has some advice? Why don't you see if they can get some behavioral medicines? And so you go down to the doctor and say, do you think my child needs this? And there's a prescription that's filled. And sometimes it's never weaned off of. I think it's easy to get tempted by advice, especially by commercials that claim that they have the the remedy to what's ailing you, and you can walk into your doctor and ask for, and some doctors just say, whatever you think you need, and you begin to doctor yourself. That's not the idea of prescription medication. But you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say it's wrong to have medications. Actually, we need to see medications as a gift from God, a way to repair and heal our body and keep antibodies within us so that we can reject some of the uh, diseases that are out there. But I think anytime that we become overly useful of them, or we find ourselves doing drugs that are illegal by the government, we need to make sure that we can wean ourselves off of those things. That's not what God had in mind. The Bible gives us some advice on this. It says, be alert and be of sober mind in 1 Peter chapter 5. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, and he's looking for someone to devour. I think drugs, especially ones that we mismanage, put us in a position where we're not of sober mind. And sometimes we can become over-reliant on these things rather than crying out to God for help or seeking alternatives from the chemicals that we're putting in our body. I think another addiction that we find ourselves more and more controlled by is sexual addiction. Lust and pornography have the power to enslave us. And according to triplexchurch.com, a ministry that promotes awareness, prevention, and recovery to the growing addiction of uh, online 
uh, pornography. Men and women are just as equally susceptible to this sexual addiction. It once used to be only a man problem, but now it's an equal uh, gender problem. Focus on the family says 47% of families, households in America say pornography is a problem in their home. Almost half say that pornography is a problem in their home. And it's not just men that are being called out on it. It's now young children because a study showed that 9 out of 10, 8 through 16-year-olds have viewed pornography. They say in the younger demographic, that is an unintentional problem of surfing without parental controls on the computer. But they've been exposed to it. But what's staggering is when you understand who they're marketing to, and who's actually consuming the most pornography in the United States. And that's the demographic between the age of 12 and 17 years old. Parents, listen to me closely. If you don't have software on your computer that's barring your children or software on their phones to restrict access to things, and they're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, you have just given your children fire to play with. That's what the Bible describes it. The Bible describes it in Proverbs chapter 6 like this. A prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? If you're viewing pornography, you are playing with fire. You see, Satan's foothold is to say, this is gratifying, this is good. And God had made sex and romantic sexuality for the marriage to be fun and enjoyable. But what pornography done is it's perverted it. It's taken this very good thing and it's turned it into lust. It's turned it into rape. It's turned it into homosexuality. It's turned it into adultery. It's turned it into pornography. And it's so far removed from reality. And it has men and women involved into leaving their spouses chasing some kind of online fantasy or somebody else that might match up to what they see on video or what they might see on a picture still. And the truth is, nothing that you see is actually reality. And it perverts our thinking. And it gives Satan a foothold to become an addiction in our life. And we find ourselves on the computer or we find ourselves on the phone or we find ourselves buying a magazine and we said, I thought I'd never do this again. And there you're right back at it. Satan's getting a foothold. You know, there are so many more addictions we can talk about. They have the power to enslave us, like gambling. The idea is that you win a little bit and so you want to win a little bit more and you think, I'm on a roll here. Friends, the house always wins. You're going to get to become a loser eventually if you keep on doing it. Or how about our smartphones? It's the first thing that you wake up to and you've got to check your email or social status or the text that came in the night. How about checking the Bible first before you check your social status? Check your spiritual status. Or how about spouses that sit on the couch together but they don't talk to one another because they're too busy texting other people or playing games? When... Right there in the living room is a relationship that they should be having with each other. Or parents, parents that don't put down their phones when their children are talking. That's becoming an epidemic, isn't it? Children wondering, is my mom or dad think that this phone is more important than me? I think if that's your status, or if you're sitting there saying, I think that might be me, you might want to start putting the smartphones down and having only special times when you get on it. Are they really that important? More important than your children? More important than your spouse? Things like shopping. I've been in the thrill of the hunt. I love shopping. I only love 
doing the legwork to find the best price. And then once I got it, I want to move on to the next thing. And maybe for you, you're the same way, that you're never really satisfied, but you're always hungry. And I think when you shop like that, you find yourself in a behavioral addiction or dependency rather than being content in all circumstances like the Bible talks about. So let me share with you some of the things that have been shared with me about how we can find liberation from the things that are holding us back, from the things that we find ourselves dependent upon or addicted to or maybe even wandering into. Here are some things that will liberate us from some of those behavioral and substance addictions that we might be flirting with. Number one is this. Admit the problem. Admit that there's a problem in your life. Take ownership that that problem is your problem. It's not your grandfather's problem. It's not an inherited problem. It's your problem, and you made the decision to walk down this road, and those choices are killing you and controlling you, and that you need help. That's what admitting the problem is about. Second, give your life completely to Jesus Christ. Jesus told a story that had a spiritual meaning about a man that had a demon in his house, and it says that the man swept the demon out. Now, obviously, the house was referring to the man's body, his heart. And he's saying he swept the demon out of the house. He got rid of the evilness in his life, but he couldn't fill up his, his house, his heart, with good things. And so Jesus says, so seven more demons, stronger than the first demon, came in and took over the man's life. What Jesus was getting at was, you can't just think you change your behavior and not replace it with anything. We're all addicted to something. So instead of replacing it with bad things, make sure you have a good thing to replace it with, and Jesus is a good thing to replace it with. Don't be left empty when you abandon the addiction. Be filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord. Be baptized into Him, and it says that His Holy Spirit will come into you and empower you, not just to forgive you of sins, but to empower you to overcome sins. Third, Determine that you want to be liberated and not just forgiven. C.S. Lewis had said, some people pray, Lord, help me to overcome this sin, but not yet. (laughs) You ever prayed anything like that? When Jesus encountered a man that had been disabled for 38 years, he had a simple question for him. His question was, do you want to be healed? And the man wanted to be healed, and Jesus healed him. But friends, Jesus will not heal you unless you have the desire to be healed. He's not going to force himself on you. And I think that question is still being posed and asked by God today. Do you want to be healed and delivered? And when you say yes, you are saying yes by accepting Christ into your life and putting your old self to death and rising as a new man, a new woman in Jesus Christ. Number four is be accountable to one another. I think it's a hard step to reveal your addiction or to reveal that you have some problems in some areas, but you can find some trusted brothers and sisters right here in this community of believers and in this greater community of believers around Washington that will help you get serious about overcoming some things and finding victory in your life. You know, the Bible says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Find a brother and sister to help you in this problem. Five, be willing to pray and to fast for victory. Fasting is giving up food in your life for a set period of time. It's a way to say, I'm serious about this, and a way to show God that you're serious about it. It's a way to put a spiritual emphasis on things and saying, I have a greater spiritual need than I have a greater physical need. And then you begin to pray to God. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Don't let these sins bind me anymore. Don't let this evil enslave me because I'm becoming like a man possessed because of these things. 
Lord, I want to be healed. Six, remove the source of temptation. Jesus had taught, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Now that's bold behavior, isn't it? It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the fire, eternal fire. So here's a suggestion. Empty the bottles. Remove the computer. Tell the doctor, are there any alternatives than getting this prescription refilled? Turn off the phone. Remove the source of temptation in your household and get serious about overcoming with the power of God at work in your life. Seven, expect opposition from your former friends. (laughs) When the demon-possessed man was liberated by Christ, you would have thought that the townspeople would have been excited about it, but they weren't. The rest of the story shows us in Luke chapter 8 that they actually got upset at Jesus. Now, you would have thought they would have been happy that Jesus had set this man free and had allowed this man to overcome in life, but they said, Jesus, get out of here. You're going to have some people in your life that are going to be angry at you because you've stopped going to the bar, are going to be angry at you because you stopped your behavior because they still enjoy it or because they're still addicted to it. You know, it's time if you are found yourself in that position to find some new friends. <laughs> and this is a great well of resource right here of friends that love the Lord and love you spiritually and have a heart for you and your soul, not just your physical body. Number eight, find opportunities to serve others. In Luke chapter 8, verse 38, it says, the man from whom the demon had gone out from begged to go with him, meaning Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for them. Jesus was saying, I'm giving you a task to do. And when you're addicted to something, you've got to fill it with something that is good. And and Jesus is saying, fill this with service to me. What that does, it keeps the temptation down. And Jesus empowered this man to go and do something responsible and to be an example for others in his life. You may feel alone in your addiction. You may feel alone in the things that are controlling your behavior. But let me tell you about a man in the Bible that can identify with all of this. His name is Paul. And in Romans chapter 7, this is how he talks. He talks like a man who has been addicted. He says, I am a slave to sin. The evil that I do, I don't want to do. And I find myself doing it. The good I want to do, I don't always do it. What a wretched and pitiful man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, you know, thanks be to God, because he gives me the victory through Jesus Christ my Lord. I heard this story about a father that was looking out of his kitchen window at his son who was playing in the sandbox and his son was trying to wrestle this big rock out of the sandbox and he just couldn't do it. It was wedged in the sand too deep. He couldn't dig deep enough to move it and and when he finally was able to get under it, he couldn't push it out of the hole and the little boy became totally tired of what he was working on and put his hands in his face and just buried him deep and the dad walked out there and said, son, Are you trying to move this rock out of the sandbox? The boy said, yep. Doesn't look like you're able to do it. He said, nope. Well, have you used all the power that's been given to you? Yep. You haven't, son, because you haven't asked me. And he, the father, and the son pushed the rock out of the sandbox together. You know, you 
might be pretty self-reliant. You might have a good reputation, a giant education. You might have a lot of cunning skills. But if you're going to break away from evil in your life, you're going to need to call on someone higher than yourself, someone stronger than yourself, your heavenly Father. And he wants to rescue you and to redeem you and to fill you with a greater spirit than any spirit you can ever experience that's been produced by this earth. You know, it's your heavenly Father that wants to help you so that you'll have complete control of yourself again and that nothing else will have mastery over you. But it means that you have to respond to him and give your addictions and yourself over to Jesus so that you can say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.